you are listening to the Entrust Podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 96 uh, just for a moment to start off our time uh, together. So, um, I'm trying to do a better job of making sure that we have, um, you guys don't just always have to listen to me on Sunday nights, and it is such a gift that the last few weeks of the type of expertise that we have in our church, um, and it's just so neat to even think about. Tonight, um, this afternoon, we had a new members meeting. We had 17 people there wanting to join the church, which is incredible, and uh, about three of them or like, I'm here because the missional kind of focus of this church, and I, I don't want to be sent to the nations one day. And, uh, and it's pretty exciting to think about. Um, and so for that, as we think about what God is doing all around the world and walking through this aspect of missions, some of you uh, have had the wonderful privilege of getting on a plane and going somewhere to the other side of the world, right? And if you've never done that, the first time you do it, it is a shock to the system. It's a shock to get off the airplane, and to smell the smells, hear the sounds, see the sights, to know that from a language perspective, you're probably a minority, uh, you are confused. Uh, for me, first one was um, after my freshman year of college, going to Japan, and I learned Konnichiwa, and I learned Kanbanwa, and I also learned Torewa Dokodeska, which means where's the bathroom, because that's important there. I'm just saying, uh, when you go on the other side of the world, you need to know uh, certain phrases and whatnot. But what you find is that all around the world, God is doing some miraculous things. And in Psalm 96, this is what we find. He says, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the, what? The whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the what? Nations. Nations. That's plural, right? All the people groups out there. And his wondrous works among how many peoples? All. All the peoples. So if the gospel is such good news, we cannot contain it to ourselves. We must take it and go. And because he is so great and glorious, we cannot stop once we reach the edge of Greenville County or once we reach the edge of the United States. But this gospel message is so important that we need to take our lives and go literally all around the world to think about in this. <coughs> Verse 10, it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. In this, and then go down to verse 13. Before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. God is a global God who cares for all people, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And so for us, the wonderful privilege of being able to speak to people in this country about the gospel, but also turn and take our lives to some of the outer edges of the world from where we are. Now, one of the practical things, and we're going to get into a little bit more, as if going on the other side of the world has not been difficult enough in years past. Um, have you looked at the price of plane tickets recently, right? <coughs> have you looked at how expensive immunizations are now? Have you seen how 
politicized even the thought of immunizations are now compared to what they used to be. Um, have you realized how often we are more retreating to our homes and not wanting to get around people? And I would say that there honestly is, I believe, uh, a really spiritual warfare attack to keep the church at home. Um, one of the challenges that we're going to have as a church going forward is if we are going to be as aggressive with a mission like we're talking about, is how do we get these people from here to those places where God's calling us? Because the, the challenges are higher than ever before, uh, and the obstacles to get there are, are great and mighty. But if this psalm is to be true, that we need to declare his glory among the nations, we've got to figure out how to get there, right? Find a way to get there. So think about it this way. When we think about the survey of the global church, we misreport history and misrepresent reality when we consider Christianity a Western religion. Okay? Make sure I make myself clear on that. To say that Christianity is something that starts and originates uh, in the United States of America misreports history, right? Um, Y'all do realize this. Jesus of Nazareth was not an Anglo from South Carolina, okay? Not exactly. Um, in fact, we also misrepresent reality when we consider it as a Western religion. The church is a worldwide phenomenon with trends that will surprise the observant. Um, Christianity is moving all over the globe, and yes, there is a sense in which there is a lot that's happening here. But we're also going to see tonight that actually God can work outside the confines of even what we think where he, we think he's working. So think about it this way. Some grounding statistics, and most of these come from 2020. So obviously the last few years have probably complicated these a little bit, but let's walk through them together anyway. Christianity has 2.4 billion adherents, which are 31% of the world's population. 2.4 billion. Now, how accurate is that number? Your guess is a gizmo. Um, do I think that is fairly accurate from people who profess Christ? I'd say that's pretty accurate. I'd say it's a pretty good chance of those that profess Christ. 2.4 billion, about 31% of the world's population. So, the world's largest religion, right? We would say, hey, that's awesome that we feel like we've got more, but is 31% the goal? No. Um, I know we can say 100% is the goal. Is that reality? But I, I know this, that within that number are also billion of people who, if they wanted to go to church, could not because there is not one there. If they wanted to read the scriptures, there is not one in their language. So for this, there has to be a level at which we push the boundaries a little bit. Now, one thing to complicate that 2.4 billion people that would claim Christianity is this stat right here. 50% are classified as Catholics, and 38% are classified as Protestants. And you go, what is the other uh, 12% there? Other, okay? That's what it's classified as, as other. So within that, 2.4 billion adherents, if 50% of those are Catholics, 38% are Protestants, here's something I want to make sure you 
hear me say. Sometimes people who are Baptists will ask me, do you think Catholics are real Christians? Which I will typically respond, do you think Baptists are real Christians? Like, here's the reality. Just because you're Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or non-denominational does not guarantee anything, right? Let's just take Baptist. Um, Greenville. I, I talked with someone recently who said, I used to go to a Baptist church on the other side of Greenville, and it says Baptist on the sign, but it ain't Baptist like this is Baptist, right? Like, it, it's something very, very different, right? Okay, so even within that, we have to be so careful of uh, asserting certain things to people. So um, can you find Christ in the Catholic Church? Can you find Christ in a Baptist church? There are all kinds of churches. They all mess up, but I'll say this. It's kind of like the question, can you eat healthy at McDonald's? You can. It's kind of hard, though, okay? You really got to work to try to eat healthy at McDonald's. That's typically not why people go, right? In certain denominations, in certain churches, can you hear the gospel? Yeah, but you got to really work at it. It's, it's more challenging, right? Um, I'll give you an example. Um, I remember being in Guatemala uh, years ago and going on a mission team to this village. And in the middle of this village, we were supposed to go take the gospel to these people. There's this huge church building in the middle of the school campus, which I was like, well, then why are we here? There's literally, this the school is attached to the church, and the kids are going in and out, in and out, in and out. So I went in one of the classrooms to get to know the kids. We share a story from the scriptures. We talk about when Jesus walked on the water. And going through an interpreter, one of my friends who's now an IMB missionary who was leading the Bible study that day, he asked the kids these questions afterwards to try to see if they understood what he said. He said, so let me ask you a question. Who walked on the water? And these kids shouted, Maria! No, I'm, I'm sorry. Who walked on the water? To which they go, Maria! He said, who is the way to salvation? Maria! Just over and over and over. Consumed with the Virgin Mary. Consumed with that is the way. Now, so I'm telling you, out of the 2.4 billion adherents would be those kids in that school. Classified as Christian. Thinking that the way of salvation is Maria. Um, that's Mary, by the way, just in case you don't hear Spanish. Okay, all right. Um, so that gives you a context that starts getting to be very sobering when I read those stats, at least for me. Now, the subsequent religions with the most adherents next in line would be Islam at 25% of the world's population, secular, uh, which would be 16% of the world population, Hinduism is 15%, and Buddhism is 5%. What major religion are you surprised that isn't on that list? Judaism, anybody? For the huge, uh, how do you say this? The weight that Judaism has had in the world at large to be less than 5% of all adherents in the world, that seems somewhat shocking. But if you look at the history of uh, the Ju Judaism as a movement, you can understand. Now, look at that. Islam is 25%. Islam, in many ways, 
Um, some people would say Islam is the fastest growing religion. I would very easily say Islam is the most stout world religion in the fact when you convert to Islam, it is a way of life. You don't just go to church. It is all-consuming. When you convert to Islam, you are in, and, um, and, and there's just no way of really getting out. Secular, humanism, uh, atheistic kind of thinking, 16% of the world. Hinduism, if you're wondering, Hinduism literally means the religions of India. Okay? Um, if you're Hindu, uh, you can believe a whole host of things. And they're all classified as if you're basically religious in India, you're Hindu. And you could follow uh, Hanuman, which is the monkey god. Or you can follow uh, Kanesh, which is the elephant-headed god. and All kinds of stuff like that. But they're all classified as Indian or, uh, or Hindu religions. And then Buddhism is a weird kind of religion. And we're going to talk um, soon about world religions course here. But in Buddhism, um, Buddhism really is a religion without God. You can be a Buddhist and believe in God, but you don't have to. Buddhism is kind of this self-awakening, and if God helps you find that path, use them. If you don't need them, discard them. So within all that, you, you see how good we're looking right here? This is overwhelming to me at some level. Look at this next. All other world religions only claim 8% of the world's population. So that Judaism, Jainism, Sikhism, Baha'i, all the different world religions, and there's a bunch of um, other places down the line, would claim out 8% of the world's population. So one of the most unmistakable trends is that Christianity is growing in contexts that are non-Western cultures. Okay? So Christianity, it appears, from what we'll look at tonight, is growing rapidly in other places of the world and declining in the western part, which would be Europe and the states, North America, okay? And so as we look at this, what I want to do is we're going to kind of take a, imagine we're taking the globe and we're going to go on a little journey for a little bit and see some of these places to, to notice about different areas in the world so you can see what God is doing among them. So let's talk sub-Saharan Africa, okay? <clears throat> if we look down in Africa, what we'll find is in 1900, 10% of the sub-Saharan population was Christian, but the church has grown to over 60% today. That's remarkable growth, folks. Within a hundred years, to jump from 10% to 60%, that's pretty significant, right? Um, we're not seeing that in the States, by the way. Okay? Not that, that type of growth. Um, that is remarkable of a growth curve for what's happening in sub-Saharan Africa, which is a challenging place where religion is starting to take root. But let's talk about what happens. Within the most rapid growth versions, a particular emphasis on supernatural power and workings occurs. Okay, So where Christianity is growing in sub-Saharan Africa, there is oftentimes a... Um, Emphasis, if you will, on supernatural power, supernatural workings, um, things that are very hard to define. Now, some of you would go, well, that's why it's growing. Yeah, that's what we need to experience, too. And some of you skeptical people are like, mm, is what's going on there real, right? 
And you can have this kind of like, uh, do I believe in what's happening over there? Give you examples of what it means by that. There are places in sub-Saharan Africa where you'll find that certain communities of people started following Jesus and it all originated from some local having a dream in the middle of the night of a, clo a, a figure clothed in a purple robe with scars in his hands saying, go find so-and-so at the end of this road. And the person wakes up and goes and finds a missionary and says, who is this guy in the purple robe with the scars in his hands? And they go, it's Jesus. And so in your theology, can you fit in that God could actually use dreams to call people to himself? Some would say, I don't know if he does that anymore. Some would say, I, I hope he does that anymore, right? You know, like I would hope that, um, but with this, this is so some of the things. So there's a lot of, I say supernatural power, um, focus on healings, focus on uh, demonic exorcism, if you will, a lot of things like that that are happening. Now, one of the greatest dangers in this region is embracing something called syncretism and rejecting divine revelation. Yes. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. So uh, below uh, the Sahara Desert, so we're talking more southern end of Africa, kind of that that section. I should have I should have brought a map. Up. I thought about doing that anyway for this. But um, bottom bottom side of, of Africa. Now, um, let me explain this word here for a second. Syncretism. Um, we don't have to do this anymore. But you remember? Some of y'all remember. You used to have an iPod, had a little dial on it. Y'all remember that thing? And then you had your computer over here, and it had all your music, and you had to get a cable, right? Y'all remember this? You had to get a cable, and what were you trying to do? You were trying to sync whatever music was on your computer to the music that's on your iPod. So now what was over here and what's over here is all the same thing, right? That's what's happening in Africa right now in religion. So, on one spot, you've got Christianity that they are trying to deal with, and then you also have something that would be like called like animism. Animism is a religion that really believes in the spirit world. There's a spirit in this tree, there's a spirit in this river, your ancestors are watching you, you better be careful, those kind of things. What you find in some of these places in Africa is that there is a sinking of sorts of these two religions. So they follow Jesus, but they're also worried that their ancestors are going to spook them, right? Um, certain places, they'll follow the ways of Jesus, but they also believe in the existence of voodoo dolls or something like that. There's this kind of molding. So the danger is they're embracing syncretism and they're rejecting what? Divine revelation, which is what we would know as the Bible. So they're going, it's all in the experience Let's follow Jesus and know the experience, and yet not really knowing Scripture. Now, what could be one issue in sub-Saharan Africa to know divine revelation? Some of them either don't have the Bible in their language, or some of them just can't read. So what are they based on? They're having to learn all this stuff, basically how a lot of small group Bible studies happen. Well, what do you think this means to you, right? And they're just kind of making it up. And so there's this part of the truth, but there's also this other stuff that's kind of integrated in there um, and can get really, really funny. So they can believe in Jesus, but they can also contact the witch doctor if healings need to happen.
So that's kind of a, a picture of Sub-Saharan Africa. Now let's talk about this little tiny section of the world called Asia, right? Here's a sobering statistic for us to think about with Asia tonight. 55% of the world's population resides in Asia and only 8% profess Christ. I'll say that again. 55% of the world's population resides in the continent that we know as Asia. And only 8% of those 55% profess Christ. Now, it's a huge jump from the 2% that was in the 1900s. That's a significant jump, especially in the area that it's in. Now, with this, Asia houses some of the most adversarial governments to Christianity. North Korea, Myanmar, Laos, Vietnam, and China. So you understand why there's been such a push because um, when I went to China, and to know that the world's probably still there today, it was illegal to share the name of Jesus to someone under the age of 18. It's illegal. If you want a Bible, you can get one, but you have this Bible that basically takes out Romans, takes out Luke, certain pages of Galatians, and here's the Bible that the government will allow you to have. But if you want all 66 books, you go underground. And if you go underground and you're part of the underground church, if you get caught, you might be arrested. You will be arrested. You might die. So you have governments like this, North Korea, Laos, Vietnam, you name it, where it's hard to follow Jesus. And you kind of know, and if I do this, uh, it might mean the safety, security of my life or what they might even do to my family. Think about this stat for a second. Seven of the ten world's largest cities are in Asia. Seven of the top ten, all in Asia. And they have created environments with three things. One is extreme poverty. Um, uh, if you fly over Delhi, India. Um, I have a friend who spent missionary time there who said, when the plane is going down into India, you can begin to smell India. Because there's so many people stacked on top of each other, the stench literally just is coming through the air. It's so significant. Bodies on bodies, building on building, just continue to stack on top. And so with this, there's extreme poverty because some of these places can't uh, can't keep the amount of people just kind of covered. And so there are those that are extremely wealthy, but they are a minor few, and there's a lot of people living in extreme poverty. There's extreme uh, begging in certain situations. Now, certain countries um, will, will, will do different things, but if you go to some of these Asian um, cities, what you'll find is not only are there beggars, um, but I was getting ready to give uh, money one time in Asia to a group of kids who looked absolutely pitiful. And the missionary grabbed my hand and said, stop. And I said, what? He goes, look. And down the alleyway is a guy in the shadows who is basically the guy who's trafficking those kids and makes them look poor and pitiful. And he's making them go out there and then he takes all the money and gives them a little bit to eat. So... What happens is extreme poverty is there. There are kids who are begging. There are adults that are begging. There's also a profiting kind of situation. There's also in these cities rampant trafficking. Um, child trafficking, 
sex trafficking, you name it, red light districts all around, um, some of the most horrific things that you find in certain cities and parts of the world where if a family can't provide their resources, they will sell a daughter or a son over to an organization so that that child can work for this and that family get what they need. Okay, what type of work? Any type of work you can imagine. And uh, this is just what's going on in all around the world, um, especially in some of these larger cities. And then also, when you have people stacked on stack on stack on top of each other, you get viral diseases. Like, go back to India for a second. There's this river called the Ganges River where almost any time I've seen a picture of it, there's always cows walk, um, just like waiting in it because it's so hot in that city. And in Hinduism, it's believed that if you go down into that river, you wash and you come up cleansed, you're washing, you're purifying yourself. You might be spiritually purifying yourself, but let me tell you what you also come up with. Germ on germ on germ on germ on germ. Uh, the, uh, I can't, there's different parts of the world sometimes where you eat something and you think, that did y'all sterilize the stuff you were? The answer is no. No, they did not. And you can eat it and you can be kind and you might be sick later. Um, and so in this, there's, there's a lot of death. There's a lot of horrific situations that are literally in some of these largest cities. Now, let's go to Latin America for a moment. And uh, Latin America is going to be one of these places that boasts of a lot of Christians in it. But like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of a unique version of Christianity. And this is where it started. The conquest of Portugal and Spain many years ago converted Christians, and converted is in print, uh, quotation marks here, okay? They converted Christians in the 16th century so that Catholicism became a way of life that currently produced 75% of the population with only 15% actually active in the church. <coughs> so the conquest of Portugal and Spain. Um, it converted Christianity like this. You live under our rule, work under our conditions, and you now worship our God. And that's what was birthed there hundreds of years ago and exists today. So in many of these countries, you ask somebody, oh, what religion are you? Christian or I'm Catholic. Why? Because everybody is. A family has always been. Um, and if only 15% of them are actually in the church and in kind of a church that's kind of like by association, that's what you're supposed to do. You understand why you start to have doubts about how many are legitimate followers of Jesus, right? So within this, uh, Latin America pads the number for Christianity. But if you go down into some of these places, you'll see, um, honestly, how uh, fearfully uh, lost it is. Um, one of the interesting things I once in Latin America saw, um, they actually have, had a statue of Jesus in a coffin. Right? Which you got kind of weird. Um, so I didn't even think about this the first time I went to Latin America, but they have a lot of um, artwork and sculptures and different things that you can buy as a tourist. And all of them, like you might have a, a piece of jewelry with the cross on it, right? In Latin America, you'll find a cross, but always Jesus is still hanging on it, right? So there's this fixation of him on the cross but not out of the tomb so literally in this one church i was in i was like 
who's that in the coffin? They're like, that's Jesus. I'm like, why is he there? I thought he got up. They're like, no, he just remembered his death. And I'm like, yeah, but he got up. <laughs> like, he's not, he not, first of all, he wasn't even in the coffin. But number two, like, he's not there. And yet it's this almost obsession with the sacrifice of what he did, but not the victory. And, and that's just kind of prevalent in that part of the area. Now, due to severe poverty in these countries, what's known as the prosperity gospel has been highly appealing to many adherents that are stifled by harsh conditions, corrupt governments, and shielded religious institutions. So, uh, many of you know what the prosperity gospel is. Have enough faith in God, you'll be healthy, wealthy, prosperous. You won't be sick. Your, uh, your family won't be sick. You'll get the promotion. Everything will be good in life. What do you do with Jesus and Paul and Peter and all those other folks? I don't know, right? But that's, that's the message. That message started in the United States, and it has blown up in places like Latin America where these conditions are this way. Harsh conditions, um, uh, just horrific living environments in many of these situations. Corrupt governments. Um, there are certain places here, if you think of what happens in Mexico, which you read about in the news sometimes with the drug cartels in Colombia, knowing that the governments not only cover this, but sometimes encourage it, if not support it. And a lot of the religious institutions in some of these countries are shielded because they're protected by the government if they will say certain things and do certain things. So there's this kind of complex way in some of these places that the true church is... Um, not exactly what you think it would be. Now that's Latin America. Let's look at the Middle East and North Africa. So this is, um, if you haven't ever watched the news, there's a lot of conflict that happens in this area, okay? All the time. And here's <coughs> where this comes from. The effects of the Islamic Empire's conquest in this re region cannot be overstated. The area has barely kept the Christian population due to these reasons. Number one, illegal conversion, higher taxes, and marriage and inheritance laws created to dissuade converts. So, in the Middle East and, the North, and Northern Africa, where the Islamic Empire stretches into some of these countries, um, if you are Christian... The ability that makes it so challenging for a church to grow is, is this is how it works. In some places, it's actually illegal to convert to Christianity. That might discourage you from converting, right? If it's illegal, and if it's illegal, um, this whole group of people aren't going to uh, follow you. They're, they're not going to do business with you. They're not going to associate with you. Your family may walk away from you. You understand what that's hard. So some places it's just illegal. In some places, if you're a business owner and you're a Christian, you actually have higher tax laws than your Islamic people who are doing the exact same trade right down the road from you, which also dissuades a lot of people from following Christianity. And then there are marriage and inheritance laws created to dissuade commerce. So, yeah, you can marry this Christian if you want to, but let me tell you what's going to happen if you do. Oh, and you want the inheritance? Oh, but if you're a Christian, you won't get as much, and then the rest of it's going to go over here. So you can understand in a part of the world where also um, nobody want that, but especially in this area, how challenging it is. Um, uh, terrorists and Islamic groups like Boko Haram um, uh, are literally 
going through uh, and ravaging certain places, and it's just it's just fear by mob is all it is. Um, <coughs> we had a, a missionary friend who was in this part of the world at one point, and uh, we had gotten news that Boko Haram had heard that there were missionaries living in this area. They had burnt a church building a couple of villages over, and they were going into the area to go find the missionaries. We found out about it. We started interceding as a church and began to truly pray that God would spare them. Boko Haram literally showed up at the house where the missionaries stayed. The missionaries that were hiding out somewhere else, they're there, guns ready, uh, torches ready, just burn it down, burn them out, get them out. And then all of a sudden, a local comes up and is like, this is in the missionary's house. And like, we heard they live here. He goes, yeah, but it's my house. They rent it from me. Now, typically, when you read Boko Haram, they go, and we'll burn you too, right? But I believe because there were a lot of people on the other side of the world praying at that time, Boko Haram goes, oh, okay, bye. And they turn around and left. And the house never got burned, and the missionaries got out that night and were able to fly to a safe place. But you can also understand that in parts of this world, I have talked with people who have whispered to me through a translator, I believe in Jesus, but I cannot tell anybody or else my husband will beat me or my father will kill me or the government will do this. Now, we read the words of Jesus. And in fact, in some of these places in the world, people will talk about the rise of secret believers where they're not telling anybody they are, but inwardly they, and let's be honest, all of us go, I'd get that, right? I understand why they would do that. But it complicates things when you hear the words of Jesus say, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Like there has to be some place where they're taking a stand. Um, and so this is a challenging, challenging situation in this area. In the area where Christianity was born, the chances to grow or just merely plateau are very unlikely right now. Now, do I believe it can happen? You better believe I, I can better believe I'm praying for that. But do you see how there's such a stronghold in this area uh, that even where Christianity was born and started to spread now because of the rise of Islamic uh, terrorism and the empire, it's so hard for any type of growth in the church to happen. Now, if we think about the Pacific for a moment, there are um, so many individual kind of areas around this, it's hard to kind of get your head around it. But these thousands of islands in the South Pacific claim 90% adherence to Christianity. Oh, that sounds awesome. Though, uh, it stems from a colonization approach in its history. So once again, we have in the Pacific uh, Rim, uh, think uh, like Japan and out there in the ocean around those areas, all those islands and, um, and, and those kinds of things that... If you go past Japan into places other than that, they may claim 90% follow Jesus, but it's the same kind of thing that found in Latin America. Uh, conquest happened, and things were claimed in the name of a country, and that country's state religion was that, and so therefore everybody is. Um, in this area, the individual profession is not as prominent as a group approach of mass acceptance among families, villages, or societies. So it's not really told in those areas, you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. It is, your grandfather decided that for you a few years ago. Your family is this now, right? Uh, our village is this now. The society is this now. 
Um, if you go back to church history, um, there was a place in church history where I believe that, and we've talked about this a few weeks ago, where evangelism and missions took a sharp decline, and it was when Christianity became a state religion for the Roman Empire. You would think, oh, well, the leader of the Roman Empire is for Christianity. He has been burning people at the stake. Now he says, everybody's Christian. Why is that a problem? Because if everybody's automatically converted to Christianity because the emperor snaps his finger, guess what that means? It means nothing, right? Like, um, if, if everybody's Christian, then you just really question, like, who is? Because it can't be something that's just mass conversion going forth. And so, in the Pacific... That's where this is. You're going, okay, what part of the country or part of the world are we going to get to? That's good news. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Um, Eastern Europe. Telling you, the, telling you the challenges here. Okay, telling you the challenges. Um, within one century, Russia and Eastern Europe experienced these three things. State-favored Christianity, then communist opposition, and now cultural irrelevance. Within a hundred years, that is a movement on whiplash on whiplash right so it starts state favored christianity and you go oh well that's orthodox russian orthodox christianity right has some unique uh kind of things about it then it turns to communist opposition trying to snuff the whole thing out now it's at a place of almost cultural irrelevance and the state really is the religion it is the we are this people and we are trying to accomplish this thing and if we look at what's going on there right now we, we understand why there's such a challenge for these people to truly follow christ in this land because if they've experienced that much change within a hundred years it's so confusing even what christianity means there anymore now much of the christian response is what i'd call pendulum swinging right from the west where Christianity is seen as preferred religion. Um, so let me explain what that means. Um, if Russia believes that Christianity is an American religion, what do they want to do with it? Do the complete opposite, right? If there is a um, consumerism aspect to the West, they want to go, you know, go to the communist kind of aspect, right? Um, plus... There's this pendulum swinging because of survival in such a hostile setting. So let me give you a quote from the Serbian Orthodox bishop a few years ago. Disregard the gospel. Turn to an eye for an eye. That's a problem, right? That <coughs> he's saying we are being literally put on the edge. And if we've got to stand up and fight for our rights and defend ourselves, forget the gospel. Let's go back to Leviticus Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, take them out. And that's the religious leader in that land. So, now, let's talk about our corner of the world, the West. While most of the population in the West still claims Christianity, a declining number attend church. A declining number attend church. Um... Now, there's a lot of stats to this, and once again, a lot of this happened before 2020, right? Which has made things even more challenging, right? Um, Y'all probably still have some people in your life that you're going, are they still around? You know, like, 
you know, are, are they, they come, like, you're, you're trying to think through, like, when will I see this person again? So as if that wasn't bad enough before, now it's even more so. Now, while not thriving like it used to, the church in the United States is not experiencing as sharp a decline as is seen in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. So while the states is declining, it's not as bad as some of the other places. So, yay. Okay, like, we're only decreasing by, I don't know, 2% instead of like 5 Like, that's kind of the... The excitement. Um, so, give you an example. The North American Mission Board put out a publication recently, and I sort of looking through all the state Baptist conventions and noticing. Um, I don't look through every state, but almost every single state in the United States of America, as far as Southern Baptist churches go, attendance has been in decline, and baptisms have been in decline. There's rarely any going up. So. Um, I was trying to look at this number, um, but well, I, don't, I don't have it. But I'll, I'll just say this. Um, our church baptizing 80 people last year is the exception, not the rule. Um, there are many churches that are declining. Um, and the churches that we've been helping, there's a reason why we've had to send plumbers on our team because the baptistries have not needed to work in years. Uh, probably 15 years ago, the South Carolina Baptist Convention put out a charge. We're going to try to see every church in South Carolina at least baptize one person in the next year. We did not meet that goal. We didn't get close to meeting that goal um, because there were many churches who saw no converts, no baptisms, nothing like that. So, so with it, um, we see attendance. If you were to look at attendance at um, the church in general in Greenville County, is probably less than what it used to be. Now, we can say in our little corner, hey, we're excited because our church is growing. And today, um, <coughs> in the 17 people who were discussing joining, um, a lot are moving from this city to this city and looking for a church home. Some are moving from that corner of Greenville to this corner of Greenville and needing a church home. And there are a few in there also that said, I just received the gospel recently. One was, Last weekend, one was I was at the Interest Conference and Pastor Ernesto just started talking to me. And the next thing I know, you know, there are there are signs and, and testimonies like that. But in reality, a lot of what's happening in the West is not conversion growth. It's called transfer growth. Just changing membership, swapping sheep, if you will. And so um, some of the, the larger church movements going on right now uh, are not as high on conversion as you think. In fact, there are certain churches, like even in our city, that um, would classify themselves as Baptist, but would not consider somebody being baptized as Rocky Creek good enough to join their church. You have to also get baptized at their church to be a member of their church, which just basically pads the baptism numbers. We go, look how many baptisms we're all getting. How do you do that? Well, if somebody gets baptized three times, that really does help the numbers, right? And that's kind of where things get a little funky for us. Um, the cause for much of the decline was a loss of missionary zeal of those who consider themselves nestled in Christian cultures. Go to Scotland and see the state of the church today. Go to England and see the state of the church today. Just <coughs> go to our 
theological epicenters in the United States of America like Harvard and Princeton. And imagine what their chapel messages would be today, what they used to be yesterday. So with all that, I come to this verse of scripture to wrap our time up tonight. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in how much of the world? All the world. As a testimony to how many nations? All the nations. And then the end will come. So, the old, why hasn't Jesus returned? Is it not gotten bad enough? Jesus is delaying his return until we go and tell the nations about him. Second Peter 3, 9 says it this way. The Lord is not slow about his promise. He's patient towards all, not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why has Jesus not yet returned? Because there are people and nations and lands and languages that have yet to have a missionary on the field. And he is saying, hold on, give them a chance. Now, here's what we don't know. Somebody challenged my thinking on this years ago. Because I thought, we got however many thousand unreached people groups around the world. In my mind, I'm like, we got to get to this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. We finally check off the last one. We go, ha, Jesus, you can come back now, right? But there is a challenging way to think about it this way. That I've shown you a couple places in the world where Christianity used to be a hotbed where it was. And now it no longer is. So are those nations considered as they have received the gospel, but they have just watered it down and no longer walking in it? So even to that end, there are still pockets of the world today that have yet to hear the life-saving name of Jesus. So why do we pray? Why do we give? Why do we go? Because we want them to know the hope that we have. And the honest way of our thinking should be this. Let us go until he comes. Until Jesus returns, we will just continue going. And we'll let him decide when he wants to come back. And we don't have to debate about it. Because we can debate about his second coming. But if a lot of the world has yet to hear about his first coming, that's where we need to focus our attention. That's where we need to put our priority. And um, so for all that, it is interesting to see that in different parts of the world today, um, I heard a study one time where there were some people in China that were thinking they desperately needed to get some missionaries so that they could go to this country called the United States who really seemed like they needed some Christian witness there. And sometimes the roles reverse, do they not? And so with this, I do not think that the United States or even the Southern Baptist Convention is the great hope of the world. I think it's Jesus. So if we can be a part of what he's doing, whatever that looks like, and joining our brothers and sisters all around the world to that end, that's where our hope is. So, Father, tonight, thank you for allowing us just to see a quick snapshot of where things are around the globe and to cause us to step back and consider how we can steward our lives so that others may know the hope of the gospel. It's the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Entrust Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We hope that you take what has been entrusted to you here and give it to another.